say, I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app and take us with you anywhere in the world and listen to us in real time, but only by downloading our app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour, Emmett Till's cousin and best friend, Wheeler Parker Jr. survived the night of terror when 14-year-old Emmett was taken from his family's rural Mississippi Delta home in the dead of night, as you know all too well. As the last surviving eyewitness to the lynching of Emmett Till, Parker knows facts about the case that have heretofore been left out of the public record and has a lot to say about racial reckoning in America. We will speak with Wheeler Parker Jr., in our two. In our third hour, how to cope with the stressors of today's social climate, we offer you uh, some tips and strategies for how to avoid burnout in 2023, courtesy of Lasan Basquiat, host of the podcast Shaping Freedom with Lasan Basquiat. And if that last name, Basquiat, sounds familiar, it should. Yes, that was her brother the late artist. We will talk about how to create the change you want this year and author a life story that you would like to read when the CEO of the personal growth company Shaping Freedom, Lasan Basquiat, joins us in hour three. But in this first hour today, speaking of Shaping Freedom, let's talk politics and more with famed civil rights attorney and towering public intellectual, our regular contributor, Connie Rice. Connie, my first time talking to you this year on the year. So Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, Happy New Year, Tavis. I'm uh, I'm good. I'm getting my immigration papers to go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm afraid to ask. I'm afraid to ask what is uh, <laughs> what's behind that. But I, I I think I can guess. And and speaking of which, yeah. Yeah, speaking of which, <laughs> let let me start with this again. This is my first time talking to you, uh, and I'm always delighted, of course, to be in dialogue. Glad that you honor us by being one of our regular contributors. Uh, but I haven't talked to you this year, and so I haven't had a chance to hear your take, nor has the audience. I know we all want to hear it. On the Kevin McCarthy brouhaha, taking 15 votes to get through. Uh, so it's old news at this point, but just give me your take on that, and then we'll, we'll jump from there. I, w- I want to hear it. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's always an honor to be with you, Tavis. Just, you're just the best. Listen, McCarthy invited the hijackers into the pilot's cockpit, and now they're driving the plane into the mountain. <laughs> he handed over the speakership of the United States House of Representatives to a bunch of, of nuts. I mean, they're freaks. They're they're just they're just the you know it's like hockey hooligan time. Mm. And um, he let them get concession after concession that will put a bunch of crackpots on on the rules committee, which will prevent bills from getting to the floor. They can end his speakership with one vote, just one loony tune raises their hands, and and then you're thrown back into the turmoil of picking a new speaker. It is it's it's bat crap nuts, 
and watching them, what, it took them 15 times? Mm-hmm. What was it? It, it, it? You couldn't. People were, and I mean, the Democrats were passing around popcorn and having a ball watching this, this circus. It was like it was like a John Gacy clown car. That's what we have in charge of the United States House of Representatives right now. And it, you know, we can laugh about it, but it's, um, this is dangerous. You want to know what this is, Tavis? This is the insurrection and attack and invasion of the Capitol has now moved through elected officials into control of the House of Representatives. This is the continuum. This is the legislative con- continuation of the insurrection. We have the insurrection caucus now writing the rules for what's going to happen in the House of Representatives. It mm. is, it's pitiful. Since, since you mentioned insurrection, let me go back to a conversation we had on this program yesterday and get your take on that right quick. Um, as I said on the program yesterday, Connie, uh, apparently we're no longer just exporting democracy. We're also inspiring insurrection around the world. Uh, I'm talking specifically about uh, what we saw in Brazil. For us, it was January 6th, two years ago. In Brazil, it was January 8th. Uh, we were in conversation yesterday with a brilliant reporter, uh, Eduardo Porter, for uh, Bloomberg. And Eduardo uh, unpacked for us yesterday uh, the research, the backstory on the fact that um, these uh, protesters in Brazil were in direct contact with Steve Bannon and other Trumpist uh, who were advising them and, and, and counseling them. We saw what happened in the Brazil Capitol riots. But what do you make of the fact that, you know, here we are now, again, exporting insurrection, inspiring insurrection, as it were, around the globe? Yeah, well, we used to be even the the model for democracy. I mean, you and I both know that we've never had a democracy. We're striving for it, but at mm-hmm. least we had the Madisonian framework and we had the Constitution, and it is a model for the rest of the world. We're trying to make it happen in this country, but meantime, you've got this faction. Thirty, uh, about a third of the country's adults are really in a fascism mode. They believe in violence to achieve political goals. They believe in violence to suppress the majority and take over by force uh, the rules, using the rules and tools of democracy to enforce autocracy. And so um, this is the danger of trying, if you don't understand that you're in a moment of a fascist takeover and you try to play by the rules of democracy, the fascists will win. And now now you've got Steve Bannon, um, have hate will travel. He's like a traveling malignant tumor, you know, going around the world. Uh, he went to Paris and, mm-hmm. and helped, you know, the Le Pen folks almost take over the, um, the, the almost get, a, you know, take over the houses of government there. Uh, fomented violence on the radio, podcasts, and in Brazil, you saw it looked just like um, our insurrection. In fact, exactly. you couldn't tell the difference mm-hmm. if you just looked at the, at the, um, the you know, the journalists' uh, summaries of what was going on down there. So, um, very fragile moment, and democracy is hard to defend because mm-hmm. it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Fascism is easy because it's brainstem. You can scare people into in believing anything. See, and that's our problem, is that what we're asking for requires thought. It requires ideals. It requires, you know, James Baldwin-level thinking, right? What they're, what they're saying is, you know, be scared of blacks, be scared of this. The reason you can't get ahead isn't because the wealthy have taken $50 trillion out of the public wealth over the last 60 years. It's because poor immigrants are coming in because black people are, are, aren't working. So that's easier. That's easier to digest, and that's why it works better. But fascism, we are now, that's one of our chief exports. And again, it's shameful. Mm. 
doesn't take long for Connie to start dropping bars. Uh, fascism, one of our chief exports, and she's right about that. You'll get a lot more of that uh, as we move through this hour. Uh, the brilliance of Connie Rice. There is a lot to talk about in this hour. Uh, President Biden, uh, these classified documents versus Trump's classified documents. You've been hearing that story, right? They found classified documents. Uh, when uh, Biden was vice president, that when the vice president's residence outside of the White House, uh, we'll talk about the distinction between, again, Biden's classified docs and Trump's classified docs. Uh, we will talk about Trump's tax returns, uh, which showed he was a much bigger risk than any of us knew. Uh, we will talk about the move the House made yesterday, circling back to Kevin McCarthy and those Republicans, didn't take them long. Connie and I both knew this was coming, and so did you for that matter. House Republicans yesterday formed a committee to investigate the government. We'll tell you all the details about this committee they formed yesterday. It's on and popping for the next couple of years uh, inside the U.S. House, and uh, it's on and popping for the next hour here with Connie Rice on KBLA Talk. I'm Tavis Smiley. She's Connie Rice, and uh, you are listening to KBLA Talk 1580, and we're delighted to have you with us in this hour. Uh, as we try to unpack uh, some politics uh, with our regular contributor, uh, Connie Rice. So, Connie, let me start with this. Yesterday, uh, as you know, the House Republicans uh, formed a committee to investigate the government. Uh, they voted to create a panel. Uh, they say will launch a far-reaching examination of the people and agencies that investigated Donald Trump. We knew this was coming, but now it's here. What do you make of this move so early on? Uh, to start what is going to be drama for the next, uh, for the foreseeable future, I should say. Yeah, the United States House of Representatives now has a MAGA grievance committee. Mm, yep. <laughs> and they're going to, they're really, you got to think about this in terms of what the bigger movement here is. Um, the reason that, that we had an insurrection is because Donald Trump capitalized on the mounting grievances of white Americans who feel like they're being left behind and are told to blame uh, people they don't live with, don't know, don't want to know, meaning people of color, uh, LGBTQ, folks who aren't in their frame of humanity. And, and you know, there's a, there's a, but it's elites. It's, it's not just people of color. And it's anybody who they feel is responsible for their loss of jobs, for them becoming flyover territory, for them being left behind. So there's this built-up anger over 40 years. I've seen it because I was in the heartland for a long time. And when you grow up on Air Force bases, Tavis, you know that you and I grew up on Air Force mm -hmm. bases. They're not in cities. They're out in Trump country. So we understand. We went to high school with a lot mm -hmm. of these folks. <laughs> and, and that grievance, and, and they've, got some, they've got some legitimate beefs. I, you know, I, look, you know their, their incomes have gone down. Their health has gone down. Uh, you know, the, their economy has disappeared in the Rust Belt. So there's a lot of grievance that's been built up, and it's been weaponized, and it's been exploited for elites um, who are pretending to be populists in the Republican Party to say, you know, we're going to whip them into a populist, pitchfork, hockey hooligan, violent mob, and we're going to tell them, you're losing your country to people who shouldn't be here. So that is how we got to this moment of pitch anger that exploded in an insurrection. And what this committee what this committee is doing is fulfilling one of the promises to the angry MAGA mob, which is we're going to investigate. What, what they're investigating is truth. Their enemy isn't Democrats. Their enemy isn't people of color. Their enemy, their enemies are facts and truth. Remember I, you asked me what was the biggest danger? I said it was the death of truth. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can't, they're, they're there to attack all of the DOJ investigation. They're there to attack the IRS, the increase in IRS money to finally hire 
auditors who can audit complex, wealthy uh, uh, tax tabs. Trump's tax uh, documents show that he paid less in taxes than than probably your secretary. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so they have gamed and bought this system and created a tax code that is a, a reverse Robin Hood tax code so that you have the poorest people paying more taxes than Jeff Bezos and Donald Trump. That They want to reverse all the money that's going into agents who can actually do the audits to actually make the rich pay their fair share. They want to attack everything that will make this system fairer and more democratic, and that's what this committee is going to do. Mm. Um, let me pivot. I'm just watching my clock here. I want to cover a lot of ground with you uh, in this hour. Uh, I mentioned these Biden classified docs. So for those who've not been following this, um, they discovered some classified documents among uh, Biden's papers uh, when he was vice president. They were found apparently in the residence. Uh, this is clearly, Connie, not a good look for the president, but it seems to me that the circumstances of the find are different from those of the Trump case. So to your mind, uh, what is the difference between Biden's classified docs and Trump's classified docs? Uh, the difference between an arsonist and somebody who dropped some cigarette ashes inadvertently on the table. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell the difference between 160 stolen documents. Biden didn't steal anything. He didn't even know about this. One found, you know, in his in his uh, resort with the with the, the golf clubs and right. the, hockey, you know, the croquet mallets. Yeah. Number one, he didn't steal them. Number two, there were a dozen versus one hundred and sixty, and there wasn't there. And Biden was not acting like an orange toddler screaming, "These are mine!" When they weren't, the National Archives did not have to beg biden for 10 months to please return the people's documents and all of this top classified please don't kill our spies by taking you know super compartmentalized documents and 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 just strewing them all through a a, a hotel resort uh biden's were in a locked cabinet he wasn't aware of them his lawyers found them and immediately handed them over trump stole the documents hid them in his different different estates and then refused to give them, ignored a subpoena. Biden didn't need a subpoena because he... So if you can't tell the difference between the two situations, I can't help you because you really, you know, you really are... You're, you're equating... You're equating... Um, it's, it's, not, it's not apples to oranges. It's uh, apples to camels. I mean, you know, it's just... It's ridiculous. So, yes, of course, the right is going to say, see, 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 Biden does the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. Mm. I should correct myself. I, I said the residents. I was thinking of another issue. They were found actually at his office at a think tank uh, while he was vice president. So, yeah, it was while he was vice president, but they were at a think tank, not uh, not in the residence. Uh, but that's not going to stop. Uh, and we can see this already. It's not going to stop Fox News uh, and others um, who are in the Trump camp, uh, Connie, from making this comparison. Uh, that's already begun. Oh, yeah, they're going to have they're going to have a ball with this. Let them run with it. Uh, Garland needs to keep his head down. Uh, the, the independent uh, investigator Smith needs to keep his head down. Needs to keep that team going. In the meantime, uh, 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 you know, DA Willis is going to. She's got her grand jury, uh, and I think she's going to be able to get the indictment very quickly for his for Trump's meddling in the Georgia election. So there, there's some other things coming down the pike that I think will finally begin to get a little bit of accountability for, um, as as Officer Harry Dunn said. Look, there was a hit put out on the Capitol. I want to know who hired the hitman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're starting to go after the folks who hired the hitman, meaning uh, Meadows and Trump and 
Eastern, you know, all of these masterminds that, that went to Harvard Law School and Yale Law School, what they did do with their degrees, they, they fomented, you know, insurrection. Um, so anyway, all, all of that to say that, that the Trump freak show continues. Uh, I feel like we need some Rick James playing up in here. <laughs> 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 you know, but I feel like I'm watching. Um, because this is, this is just, we, we, we've really, when you think about it, We've gone from having just one functional governing party that actually wants to get, solve problems and make the government run uh, to uh, not just a, a sort of defunct or unfunctioning, dysfunctional party. We've gone to a nihilistic, destructive party. And the only way this stops, Tavis, is if the few Republicans left who actually, like uh, uh, Liz Cheney, care about saving the democratic framework, care about saving a democracy, and don't want to hand the thing over to a bunch of, you know, raving hockey hooligans who are storming the Capitol, um, they've got to stand up and fight. What you saw in that fight for the speakers was that the, the uh, you know, the insurrectionists, the insurrectionist electeds, who were all election deniers, by the way, and all Trumpists, ultra-maga Trumpists, they were willing to fight. The, there are no moderate Republicans, but the less radical Republicans weren't willing to fight. And so um, if, if, if you're not willing to fight for this system, guess who wins? The lunatics mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. Since you mentioned the special prosecutor, I want to go there anyway. Um, this, again, has happened since you were, were last on. Um, what do you make of the fact that the, uh, a special prosecutor has, in fact, been chosen uh, to navigate us through these murky waters, whatever is to come from the Department of Justice? Um, well, I think that what Merrick, Merrick Garland would not have called on on the independent. Um, well, no, no, he's special. He's not independent. Special, he's a special exactly. prosecutor. Correct, correct. Um, independent would be able to actually uh, make a decision about the indictment. Um, Merrick Garland is still going to have to make the decision. You need someone who has who's expert in complex litigation, complex prosecutions, and who is fearless. Now, this is a guy who was in The Hague doing war crimes. You've got to be pretty fearless to go war because you're going after murderous heads of state, right, and awful, awful crimes. So this, he has a very tough reputation as, by the book, he's a lawyer's lawyer. He is a fierce, he's a dragon defender of the rule of law, and he does not care. You know, he's like a honey badger. Honey badgers just don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, he will not bend to, he, it's rule of law for him. He doesn't care if, if, if Jim Jordan, you know, tries to hit him in the face. He is not going to, you know, verge from that mission of applying, getting the facts and applying the law to the facts. And if there are, are, if there are charges that can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, he will bring the charges. He doesn't care if you're the Pope. So that, it's good in that way. And you have someone experienced to take the DOJ staff and really whip them into the high-level prosecutorial team you need right. to go after mm-hmm. a former president. I got some news, traffic, and sports to get to right uh, quick here. When we come forward, I want to come back to this distinction that you know Connie made a moment ago. She mentioned earlier that um, some of these folk on, uh, on the right were, have taken their Harvard Law degrees to try to upend democracy. Thankfully, not everybody went to Harvard and got a law degree like Connie Rice uh, is on that side of the equation. Um, She puts hers to good use. And she made a distinction a moment ago that was very critical between a special prosecutor versus an independent prosecutor and what a special prosecutor can 
and will do versus what an independent prosecutor could or would do. That distinction is critical. And I want to come back to that because that decision was made by Merrick Garland. And Connie knows exactly where I'm going here. There are two or three issues that we need to interrogate about why and how he made that decision for a special prosecutor and not an independent prosecutor. We're going to put that to Connie Rice and a great deal more when we come forward after news, traffic and sports on KBLA Talk 15. Continuing our conversation now with Connie Rice. Uh, Connie, this distinction you made moments ago um, between a special prosecutor and an independent prosecutor vis-a-vis what's going to happen in the days ahead. Now that we're on this side of the January 6th Select Committee's report about what happened on January 6th, uh, two years ago, uh, they're not the same thing, special versus independent. And you started to unpack that. And clearly this is a choice that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, made uh, I think you see where I'm going with this. Why do you think, let me just back up for those who may have just tuned in and have you explain the difference, first of all, between the two, special versus independent, and then why you think Merrick Garland made the choice that he made, because he could have chosen an independent um, uh, uh, counsel, and it would have taken him out of the lane of having to make a decision about whether to indict Donald Trump. He chose not to do that. He chose a special prosecutor. So explain the difference and tell me why you think he went one way and not the other way, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that is the main difference, and there are two main differences in my mind. The others don't really matter. Um, number one, an independent co- a prosecutor has his, uh, has her own budget, makes her own decisions, does not have to check back with the attorney general to decide when to indict. And so, you know, you have your you have control of your own budget when you're an independent. You have your own money, and nobody can now now the appointment can end. Mm-hmm. There's a timeline on it, but it, the the level of interaction with the attorney general's office is much lower because you're more indep- you're independent, separate. The special is given a special assignment, but it's within the budget of the attorney general's office. It's not some set aside. And the most important thing is that the the special counsel makes a recommendation to the attorney general, who then makes the decision whether to indict, to issue criminal charges. And so um, the attorney general keeps his hand in it, and the um, the independent prosecutor in this case um, is going to run the investigation, make make sure all the facts are considered, is going to apply the existing you know statutory uh, elements, see whether those facts satisfy those elements, and if they satisfy them beyond a reasonable doubt, um, uh, they'll recommend indicting whoever, Trump, Meadows, Giuliani, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Giuliani, uh, as we now know, he uh, was hit with a grand jury subpoena for his Trump-related records. Um, what do you make of that that news? Well, what's interesting is that the courts are forcing. If you're talking about uh, the the Georgia election mm-hmm. uh, interference case, yep. uh, yes, he he was told, you know, if you can't fly, then ride a bicycle or ticket. <laughs> <laughs> From New York, to, just, just Atlanta, get there. Yeah, get exactly. there, however you have to. Yeah. The judge, the judge was tired and just said, "No, you get, you get, get down here and talk to this grand jury. You got on the phone and tried to corrupt our elections. You get your butt down here and and, and give your testimony." I don't know what he said because, of course, the, the the proceedings are secret. But I wouldn't be surprised if he pleaded the fifth throughout the whole thing, which also tells the grand jury something. Um, but yeah, the, the the grand jury. It's a fact-finding grand jury that uh, 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 D.A. Willis is doing, and now she has the report, and now she can then refer the findings and whatever recommendations there are for indictment 
to a second grand jury, which is a criminal indictment grand jury. They do not have to redo the evidence. They can take that report. They could do it in a day. I hope she does it quickly. Mm. Um, you and I have had so many conversations over um, the years of our of our friendship and professional relationship about um, the fragility of our democracy. It's not something that is ever too far away uh, from from uh, the docket when you and I get together. But I want to circle back to what you said at the very top of the hour for those who may not have heard it when you moved in. And you said it somewhat jokingly, and you're not the first or only person to say this, uh, that you were working on your immigration papers uh, to uh, to go to Canada. And there are two questions in that regard. I want to come back to the democracy issue in just a second. Uh, but I want to start with the immigration issue um, because uh, we've been talking about that, of course, this week. I was, I, I've been troubled, uh, disappointed, frankly, uh, in President Biden's latest moves on immigration when he added Haitians and others uh, to this list of uh, countries. Uh, and the two words that we've been focusing on all this week are expand and expedite. That's what he did. He expanded this program, uh, Title 42. He expanded it and he's expediting it. And he added some other countries to the list, including, again, Haitians. We all saw the video of those uh, uh, Border Patrol agents on horseback with these lassos and uh, and. Uh, uh, the disrespect that we saw these Haitians being uh, being accorded because we are black and we have to care about black folk in the diaspora. This matters to me. I know it matters to you. It ought to matter to all of us listening to this conversation right about now. Um, but again, I was disappointed uh, with the president's move on immigration. How did you read it? Two ways. I think the president Biden is trying to manage headlines rather than solve a complex problem, mm. because he knows there aren't votes in Congress to do comprehensive immigration reform, which is exactly what's needed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just as disturbed as you are, Tavis, that in managing those headlines, he's going to expand a program that is basically shutting down the asylum process. Asylum, if somebody comes to this country and seeks asylum because they're fleeing violence, because if you send them back to their country, they're going to be killed, uh, that, that, that is a lane that has to be open. Okay, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the violence in in Central America, especially, is directly tied to our our drug addictions and and the drug uh, uh, market that we create as first world residents. And we we buy the drugs, the money we've created these, we've funded these co- these cartels that have taken over these countries and made them failed states. And so we have a responsibility to number one, yes, protect our borders. But the way you protect the borders. What I mean, there are things that he could do. Like, for example, if you're going to make people wait in Mexico or exclude them under stupid COVID regulations when there are no more masks and, and we're really in a different phase of COVID right now, there's no reason to continue the, 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 uh, the, the restrictions for COVID. So he's using, he's using tools that are really fig leaves for the fact that there's no strategy, there's no comprehensive um, action. And I think what, you know, he may not be able to get comprehensive uh, immigration reform done, but if you're going to make people wait in Tijuana on the other side of the border, we could invest in at least keeping those folks safe. I think this country, when Europeans, when, when poor Europeans were fleeing war-torn Europe, um, we, we turned away Jewish immigrants and sent them back to the camps, which was, which was, which was, which was criminal. But we have in the past Ellis Island, send us your poor, your tired, Mm -hmm. and your persecuted. If we stand for those values, we need to understand that the obligation for asylum and to, there's plenty of room in this country, 
the reason the country's up in arms about immigration, and we can need to have orderly immigration, we need to have a system, but I don't see them proffering the rules for a system, even within the executive branch. And you could set up safe camps. You know, Trump sent troops down to the border and just for show, play acting, right? You, if you're going to send troops, why not build camps that can be safe for people so women and children aren't being raped every night while you force them to wait in a country that won't protect them? I, so I'm, I guess I'm saying I think it's a failure on a number of fronts. You don't stop trying to think about how bad this looks on Fox News and for the election, the, re, the, the re-election campaign um, that's coming up. And instead, think about the human beings. So I'm with you. I'm disappointed that there is no system that can impose an orderly uh, processing of folks. And so you have all these stunts of people being driven to buses and dumped on, on mm. Mayor Adams' front door and Vice President Harris's front door. You know, stop this. Stop these stunts and get a system in there that at least manages the crisis better. It is one of those issues that uh, seems to be uh, uh, perennially on the American agenda, uh, never uh, getting any real traction um, but immigration, to my mind, is it, it should not be, but it's still one of the most intractable issues uh, that our federal government um, does not want to confront. And I hear Connie's point loud and clear that rather than solving the problem, you got another president who's trying to manage headlines. And in that regard, Joe Biden wouldn't be the only president in that in that box. Uh, I think as Connie will concede. When we come forward, uh, I want to come back to this issue of democracy again. If you listen to this program regularly, and I hope you do, and I thank you, um, Connie and I always find at some point in our conversation a way to talk about the state of our democracy. Um, but Connie is not the only person, as I said moments ago, who has uh, said somewhat jokingly, others more seriously, uh, that uh, America is headed in the wrong direction. And there are many people who, who are shuddering for the future of this democracy. And some, in fact, who are talking about leaving the country. And for some, that's a joke. For others, it's serious. And I want to probe that a bit uh, more deeply when we come forward with Connie Rice on KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Connie, as I said a moment ago, um, you are not the first, uh, the last uh, person I suspect to say to me uh, that in a moment of critical crisis uh, in our country, uh, the drama we see unfolding in the House yesterday, in case folks have just tuned in, Republicans set up a committee to investigate uh, uh, the government. So everything that was done to Donald Trump, they now want to do to Joe Biden and others. Um, it's a it's a it's a strange and bizarre time uh, in Washington, and uh, again, there, there there are a growing number of Americans who are not just expressing discontent uh, and concern with uh, the state of our democracy, but there are more persons, um, some jokingly, some seriously. I know some people who who in fact have left the country. Uh, and again, this is not unprecedented in Black history as we approach February Black History Month. There's a long list of folk kind, as you well know, from Du Bois to, to Baldwin to Billie Holiday. The list goes on and on and on of African-Americans of note who at some point just gave up on the democracy, did all they could, uh, couldn't take it anymore, just gave up and left. Uh, and I'm sensing that there are a lot of other folk who, who feel that way. America is a great country, um, but, um, you know, it's it, again, the democracy is in, in, is in some trouble. And, and I want to get your take on um on those persons who are expressing these doubts about the future of our democracy. I respect those doubts, and I understand why they're absolutely valid. But Tavis, 
I'm the great-granddaughter of folks who were born into slavery, and I'm the great-great-granddaughter of slave owners. And I'm sorry. There are only two groups in this, on, in this northern continent, Native Americans and African Americans. This is the only place where we could have ever been created. And our people built this country. We didn't get paid for it. We built this country, and we are the ones who understand American totalitarianism. Slavery is totalitarianism. And I'm here to tell you, till the last dog dies, I'm not letting a bunch of hockey hooligans who are so ignorant, they, they, they actually celebrate knowing nothing. I'm not letting those folks take away our journey. Our ancestors died for us to be where we are right now. You and I are free compared to what they were. And all those folks who freed themselves from slavery and did the civil rights revolution, we stand on their shoulders. And our ancestors are watching us on our watch. So on my watch, I'm not laying down arms till the last dog dies. I'm going to fight for this system. And people might, people ask me, look, this is a system that enshrined your inferiority, Connie. You're a black woman. It, it enshrined you on both of those fronts and probably some other fronts. And why do you defend it? I defend it because of its perfectibility. I defend it because that framework is what allowed our folks to free themselves along with some folks like Lincoln and some other folks who understood that slavery wasn't good for the Union. They didn't particularly care about us, but they had military reasons for freeing the slaves. And from there, we've been, it's been too slow, it's too incremental. But, but as I said, I was saying to some young activists, we are not the majority. If this were South Africa, we could have done it a different way. But this framework, this Madisonian framework of checks and balances, rule of law, separation of powers, human rights, yeah, we weren't entitled to it, but we fought our way into it. And I'll be darned if at this point I let some idiot like Steve Bannon say, no, it's over, because he couldn't get what he wanted. So for me, I was joking. I joke. I, I did have a friend who brought Canadian immigration papers over to the But I'm going to tell you something. One, one, of, my, one of my oldest aunts, she, she, she died maybe 18 months ago. She's 99. And I was complaining. I said, you know, Auntie, it, it just feels like this is the 1850s all over again. I said, this country has gone all the way back. It didn't take but a nanosecond for them to lose. They've been fighting the civil war. I was, I was, I was you know, complaining and complaining. And she said, well, baby, you know, it is a little bit like the 1850s. I said, uh, one of the things I said was, I said, can you believe over 50% of white voters voted for a pandemicidal liar who, you know, is, is, is committing treason and sedition? And she said, well, well, you know, baby, it does feel a little bit like the 1850s. She said, but back in the 1850s, it was 99% of them who felt that way. Mm-hmm. He said, 50% is progress. Mm-hmm. And I just had to laugh. My other grand, my grandmother said, look, until you've had to sit in the dark in your kitchen in Birmingham, Alabama, with a long gun over your knee waiting for the Klan, you have no right to complain. So that's my attitude on the fight for democracy that we're in. We're fighting for a system that has never included us. And we're doing it because it's the only way that we will ensure that our grandchildren are finally free. And yet, and yet, Connie, um, you went to Harvard, of course, and uh, Harvard lawyer, Du Bois, as you well know, um, first African-American to receive a Ph.D. from Harvard. He's our first noted intellectual. And with all that you've just said, which I respect, Du Bois didn't see it that way. And the older I get, the more I'm wrestling. 
I've been to Du Bois' home in Accra, Ghana. I went there as a kid. My Angelo took me with her. Uh, and she gave a, a, a beautiful lecture on, on one of his major birthdays. And there I was carrying Maya's bags. And I'm sitting in between uh, Stokely Carmichael at the time was Kwame Ture. I'm sitting with John Henry Clark. I'm sitting with Miriam McKeeba. Mm -hmm. And I'm just a kid. And I'm just taking all this in. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Just being the being amongst all of those um, those iconic uh, black uh, uh, thinkers and doers. And I'm sitting in Du Bois's backyard as she gives this lecture. And I was thinking about it then and still thinking about it now. Um, that Du Bois just saw it differently. At some point, he just left. Uh, and I hear I hear your point, but again, that ain't how Du Bois saw it at the end, Connie. Oh, no. And, and, and for his time... You know, all those artists and, and intellectual giants you're talking about, they had very specific reasons for leaving, and I'm glad that they left because they developed, you know, they were freer to say and think, and they contributed from across the ocean, right? Right. You, it's always, you've got outside strategies and you've got inside strategies, and you've got in-between strategies. You have to have folks fighting on every front. You know, you've got, you, you need folks marching in the street and making demands that the folks inside can't make, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I see it as a division of labor. It always has been a division of labor. Everybody's fighting from wherever they stand or sit. And so, um, yeah, you had, you, you needed, you, they needed, especially for the artists, uh, Robeson, sure. you know, you, 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 Paul Robeson, you couldn't be, they couldn't take black genius. It mm. was too much of an affront to white supremacy. Mm. Um, today, that's not the case. I'm not saying it's all fixed. But we got to remember, do you realize when the last child of an American slave died? Last March. Mm -hmm. The last child of, a per, of, a, of an African-American born into slavery died last year. Okay? Mm -hmm. we're, we're still, you know, we're sobering. still clawing our it's way out from that. No, it's sobering. <laughs> you know? Good Lord. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, really. So I have, listen, uh, standing ovation for me for the folks who did the diaspora, the, the intellectual diaspora. Mm -hmm. I, uh, no criticism whatsoever, and they contributed as much or more as the folks who were in, stayed in the country and fought hand-to-hand -hand combat, fought the lynching, fought the infiltration of the Klan into the police forces, yeah. fought, the, fought all of the stuff that we saw in the 1850s that we're now seeing again in 2023. So um, it's cyclical. It's it's five steps forward, three back, uh, four steps forward, ten back. We're in the ten back phase mm -hmm. right now. It's jagged, you know. Um, the arc of the universe. Um, I don't think it bends toward justice. I think we force it toward justice. Yeah. And um, we, you know, I'm I'm going to be one of the people with both feet, both hands, my body, and everything else I can put on there to bend it. And that's why, that's why I love, I love Cotty Rice. Uh, and uh, again, she always gets you to see things through a different prism. And uh, that was the most, I mean, everything Connie says is sobering, but just realizing that it was just last March that the, the last child of the last enslaved African-American passed away. That lets you know how close we are <laughs> to Jim Crow and to Jane Crow uh, and to segregation and to slavery. We, we ain't, we ain't, we ain't that far away. Uh, and if we ain't careful, they'll, they'll, they'll put us back in, in chains again. So uh, yep. Connie's right. We got to fight. Uh, and when we fight, we win. Connie Rice, as always, good to talk to you. We'll do it again soon. Take care.
You take care, Tavis. All right. Hour two, Tavis Smiley. After news, traffic, and sports. Speaking of fighting, the cousin of Emmett Till, Wheeler Parker Jr., in a moment on KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.